So you told us a funny story off air. If you could tell us that again. <laughs> so I worked in the detainee hospital in uh, Camp Delta. You know, so um, detainees would come in to get toothaches, treated, you know, whatever medical concerns that they had. And we had this one guy who uh, came in, was like passed out on the blocks. So he goes through the surgery. Um, they take the shrapnel out, but he has this big huge like crater full of gauze you know and for a month they have to take all the bandage off pull the gauze out and put in new gauze so it doesn't get infected so this one day it's myself and a couple of field artillery guys working in the hospital and it's time for this uh, detainee to get his gauze replaced and it starts out it's all jokes funny haha you know but then once that gauze starts coming and the blood starts up uh, producing this guy's in straight pain you know and uh, uh one, one of the sergeants comes and he pokes me on the shoulder and he's like you know what that is and i'm like oh yeah yeah he's in pain he's like no nah, but do you know what that is and i'm like no sir what, what is that that's one five five round right there <laughs> In your ass. That's what happens when you mess with field artillery. I love that one. That's so good. Like, that's such what a field artillery guy would say, too. You know? I love it. I got to tell you, this is going to come out to be a good one. It's going to be a really good one, man. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Longest War. In this episode, we have Marvin Cadet, veteran of the New Jersey National Guard. All right, Marvin, thanks for joining us today. Glad to have you. Talk a little bit about your family and like what motivated you to, to join the Army. Yeah, so my mom's from Haiti, came to America um, like in her 20s, early 20s. She was married, came here to go to school, study accounting, um, get a job, and um, support her family in Haiti. Yeah, she did all that. And then uh, I really wasn't set, like... Like at the time in high school, like I wasn't really uh, geared up to uh, or ready to go to college. You know, I wanted to see more of the world and explore. And the uh, Army National Guard, the way they presented the opportunity, you know, it's all of the military action and stuff. And you get to hang out at home still. You joined in 2003? Yeah. So I joined in 2003 um, while I was a senior in high school. So the wars were going on at this point. What was your mom's feelings about joining the military? It's kind of interesting you know, uh, like I thought about it for some time, like maybe about a month, you know, interacting with recruiters and things, you know, and then uh, just one day I woke up and went to MEPS, you know, did the MEPS thing and came home and it's like, hey guys, I joined the army today. And it's like, you did what? <laughs> you know, so that's So you kind of just dropped it on her. Yeah. Was she, was she proud? Was she, you know, like, hey, there's a war going on. I don't really want you doing that. Was there any of that? Well, I'd say there's a, there was a variety of all of that stuff, you know, but, you know, it was very much a decision that I, that I took for myself, you know, um, just trying to uh, set the path for myself coming out of high school, what I'm going to do. And uh, it was very ambiguous, you know, um, not the traditional path of going to college, getting a job, sure. but uh, just being a part of something great, you know. You have your brother's sisters? I have a younger brother. What did he think? He thought it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> did he Did he join too? Um, he did not join. Did you warn him like, hey man, there's a lot of bullshit involved in this? No, not really. Like my little brother, like, so I'm the, I'm the quiet one in the family, you know, um, to, to a lot of people's uh, disbelief, you know, but, uh, my brother wanted to join, but, uh, he had some aspirations, a variety of other aspirations and just like a huge activist. And he's, um, he, he went on to do, uh, other things. Oh, very cool. You went to Fort Benning for basic training? Fort Benning, Georgia. What time of the year? Infantry. 
Um, in the summertime. Oh, that's not a great time yeah, to go. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Our first day. Well, I, I went down to uh, Georgia in the summertime and uh, spent about uh, two weeks at Thirtieth uh, AG, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people know about that. And our first day of actual basic training was Labor Day, you know, which is a national holiday right. for military folks. So our uh, our drill sergeants and company weren't very happy about that and wanted to uh, show us <laughs> on the first day. It made you feel the pain. Yeah. How was basic for you? Did you you enjoy it? Looking well today, yeah, sure. I enjoyed right. it. In I retrospect, a, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's good. I had, yeah. I had a blast. But um, you know, basic training for me, you know, like I was a very athletic in high school, you know, like ran track, you know, so uh like running and exercise. I very much enjoy exercise, you know, and um the time spent in basic is very much molds my workouts that I do today. So is it was it the same as like an eleven and bravo? Do you just do the straight shot? Yeah, it's 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 very much the straight shot. Our company was 11 Charlies and 11 Bravos through and through to the end, you know, Mortarman training is actually two weeks out of the uh, entire 14-week training. Really? That, you know, you two weeks shooting mortars. Sh- shooting mortars. All right, you're good to go. You're with the Bravos again. <laughs> Just like when you get to your duty station. <laughs> so you were in the guard and shortly thereafter you get to your unit, you had deployment orders come down. Yeah. So I was part of the National Guard fresh out of basic training for about two months and then we geared up and went to uh, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba for a year. So what is, uh, how many mortars did you shoot at Gitmo? Zero. What did, what they have you doing? Well, actually, actually, we didn't shoot any mortars in Gitmo, but uh, we had an EIB qualification course going, you know, and all the infantrymen that were down there, like it was my unit, a couple other units from New Jersey, and like we were going to qualify for EIB. And uh, part of, uh, if you're in 11 Charlie, part of that, uh, part of the EIB certification, or is it a sort or the badge? Yeah. Yeah. You have to be an expert on the mortar. So we, we so actually- So you got to hang a couple? Yeah, we got to hang out some safety rounds, you know, make sure that you could disassemble, reassemble, and uh, expert 11 Charlie time. That's cool. So did you pass? You got your EIB? So I ended up not <laughs> getting my EIB, and not because I wasn't trying, but because I ended up having to work, like, in, in the camp, you know, where we were doing. And, uh, oh, so you, like, couldn't finish the course. I couldn't finish the course. But I did finish the road march, you know. Which is the worst part. Which right? is, is the road part, yeah. Three hours, 12 miles. So if you weren't hanging orders, like, what the have you doing at Kidmo? Corrections, essentially corrections officers. Um, we were out there. Our our unit was corrections officers. Then, uh, like I did that for about six months, halfway through the tour, and uh, I got selected for a special mission to uh, work in the work in the hospital, the detainee hospital in Getmo, in Camp Delta. Delta. So, how long did you spend there at Getmo? Yeah, so I spent twelve months in Getmo. Wow, a year. Yeah, like, that's a yeah. pretty long for a. Guantanamo tour. Guantanamo tour, yeah, and it, it was it was crazy too because it was um you know fresh out of basic training you know eleven Bravo school infantry school and it's like like you're gonna leave here you're gonna go to Iraq you know and like you're gonna see some shit and it's like wow well you're going to get Mo Marv and it's like wow you know so when did you find out you were going to get Mo how long after you got to your unit my first drill weekend oh so like real <laughs> soon yeah so yeah so you didn't you didn't like bother getting another job or anything but. Because it was such a short interval between going. Yeah, it was such a short interval between going. And at the time, I wasn't really, I was working as a waiter, like trying to, as I was preparing to go through college, you know, so I really didn't bother signing up for college. You know, I just spent more time hanging out, you know, trying to, trying to pick up girls. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the army way. Yeah. And so you do a year at Gitmo, you come back. Uh, so that was... 
That was three when you went to get by? No, that was 04. 04. Yeah, so I, I graduated from basic training in December of 03. And then in 04, you know, Basically March, spent all of 04 yeah, in Guantanamo. In Guantanamo. Came back from... Well, we left in March. Came back from Getmo. It was March of 05. And then you deployed again in 05. In 05, yeah. So we came back from the Getmo tour and it's like, great, like back for the summer, you know, all this, all this deployment money in my pocket, of course, you know, uh, went, ran through that, you know, signed up for college for, for the fall of 05. And I was in college for maybe a month when I got orders for, uh, to uh, go support the Hurricane Katrina relief effort in New Orleans. So what did you tell the school when those orders came down? Well, I really didn't get to tell them anything when the orders came down. It was more about what I had told them when I came back, you know, because uh, it was my first semester in college and I was very much enjoying college, you know, and I'm um, like uh, just getting used to a uh, college life. And I leave for a month and I come back and uh, I guess this was the beginning of uh, my passion for photography. I come back and it's like, hey, I've, I haven't been in class for the last month because I was in down in New Orleans supporting Hurricane Katrina. And I got all these pictures. Look, you know, um, I had a number of teachers give me just like, you know what, you passed this class. Don't even worry about it. I had a number of teachers. Uh, other teachers were like, well, you need to catch up. <laughs> so you didn't, you didn't fall behind? You didn't have to drop out that semester? You no, I ended up ultimately like dropping a number of classes, but I think I came out with like three credits or something. Did they give you like any leeway because you were on military orders? Like, did you have to pay for all those classes you dropped? So the way the National Guard is set up in New Jersey and one of the uh, lures or incentives rather for being part of the New Jersey National Guard is that uh, college is tuition free. So I was I was in college tuition free um, through the guard. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you get the GI Bill too since you deployed? I got the GI Bill later on after, but uh, for for National Guard um, tuition free assistance, that the GI Bill I believe isn't impacted from that. So you can do college in theory, like in the Guard, and then and then after, have your GI Bill to go to like grad school. That's really cool. Absolutely. Or if you're in the Guard long enough, just go to grad school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, that's a, I should join the Guard. New Jersey Guard. So like every National Guard program in in the states are they're different, you know, and the way they structure their incentives are different. Like I knew one guy, um, I want to say that was in the Wisconsin guard where it was 75% of your tuition is tuition free while you're enlisted. And you know, like you have to come out of pocket for the rest, which is still like still a, great a great deal. deal yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's about 15 credits a semester. How much notice when you got the orders until you had to get on a plane and head to new Orleans? Hurricane Katrina, it started like sometime in August, um, in late August, you know, and it was going all through September. Our unit went to New Orleans in October and we got like the beginning of October, came back um, a couple days before Halloween and uh, like we got a week notice in advance. You know, it was very um, like hip shoot, seat of the pants, you know, and we drove down there. Like it took about two days you like know, convoy down there, like convo military vehicles? Like, we had a number of military vehicles convoy down there, like our uh, Humvees and like uh, five tons and stuff like that. But uh, the majority of the human resource came down on buses. Man, that's a that's a slow ride going yeah. all the way across the country in five tons of Humvees, man. <laughs> yeah. Those things start to shake when they go over 55. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, but I think a number of them broke down. Oh, too. yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dude, you, you can't go 20 miles on a Humvee without breaking down. What was it like? What was the climate in New Orleans when you got there? Was it was the flooding was still pretty bad at that point, right? Well, the flooding was 
the impact from the flooding was very much there, but the the high levels of the water was gone. You know, like I remember looking at a number of buildings and just seeing like how high the water got. You know, like just from um, like dehydration and things. The that, water marks, yeah. The water marks and things that happen to building, and like a lot of them. You know, like I'm a I'm a shorter guy. You know, I'm like five six, five seven on a good day, and the water was well above my head. So that was very depressing, you know, walking around, seeing like yachts and boats flipped up, flipped over, like in the middle of the streets, just homes devastated. It was very, very difficult thing to watch. Yeah, it's got to be an emotional experience because these are like, it's not like Iraq, right? Where it's like, these are abstractly humans, but they're not like our people. Like those are are our people, These these are our own people, you know, US of A, you know, and you know, I remember driving around on, because that was our job, you know, driving around doing patrols, making sure everything's okay, you know, assisting the local police effort. You know, we can uh, arrest anybody or anything like that, but we were there to assist, you did, know. Did you have weapons? Um, Yeah, yeah, we had weapons. It wasn't like 50 cows on the Humvees no, and stuff, No, no, right? no, no, it's just, hearing, like, just your or... basic M4, you know, just full battle. How did know? people... Um... How do they respond like when there's dudes walking around in full kit with M16s and M4s in their so, neighborhood? That that's a great question, you know. So uh, there there's this one time like we pull up on these people like emptying out their house, you know, all of their like belongings and things trying to uh salvage what they could, you know, and we come out, you know, and ask them, you know, is like can we give you a hand? You guys want some water, MREs or something, something to eat? And it's like, no, we're good with all of that stuff, but you know what would be really awesome if we could take a picture with you find soldiers here and it's like absolutely we can do that for you so they were receptive yeah very receptive and um, i've wondered about that because it seems like um you know you go through this tragedy you lose everything you know you you lose family members you lose friends and then like here comes the military walking around with their guns it it seems like it could give off the perception of like oh you people are threats so we have to like police you so like we had weapons like with us, you know, but we we had orders specifically not to shoot, you know. Sure. And but also like uh we were in Humvees driving around, you know, so like we wouldn't get out. Oh, so you, you know, didn't carry like, them when you got yeah, out. Yeah, okay. like we weren't like, oh, we're the big bad military trying to take over your so land. They weren't it's foot really more, or anything. <laughs> yeah, no, they weren't foot patrol. So you basically yeah. gave out humanitarian aid, food, water, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, uh, like rescue ops if they needed, like somebody was stranded. Absolutely. We like had that. more water and MREs in our Humvees than rounds. <laughs> so how was that? Like, because that's, I mean, it's awful, right? Because like you see destruction and these are our folks, but at the same time, it's like you're, you're doing something meaningful to help. Like that's got to make you feel good. Like when you're done with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because now working in public service in the nonprofit space and looking back on that time, it's for me, it feels like it was it was meant to be, you know, and I always look back on that time as one of the most memorable things that I've done for the military, even more so than than going to Iraq and serving. Right. Well, and it, and it gave you like some perspective, too. Right. Like, so now you're working in a so I guess we'll fast forward a little bit. You work with Mission Continues and with like um, reemerging neighborhoods. Right. And there's a lot of a lot of neighborhood issues, but you've seen worse. Right. Like there's yeah. there's nothing to be worse than the. The Ninth Ward right after Katrina. Right after Katrina. So like everything seems a little more hopeful. Like if you go into a a neighborhood in Philly or Pittsburgh that's, you know, seen better days, like it's not New Orleans in 05. So yeah, that's got to be, it's got to be a help. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool, man. So you you spend about a month in New Orleans then you go back to Jersey. Um, How long between Katrina and Iraq? Oh, years, couple years. Well, so Katrina was in 05. We got the warning order for Iraq in 07. So, yeah, it's about two years, two, three years. Did you go back to school between? 
went back to school, I wasn't the best at it, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't the best at it. And I was very much a young man, you know, just trying to uh, make sense of make sense of the world, you know, so just I'm um, doing odd jobs here and there. And I'm um, just trying to find my place. You know? So then you go to Iraq in 08. How many mortars you sling in Iraq? Absolutely zero. <laughs> what yeah. they have you doing there? In Iraq, we were doing, uh, so our unit, we were a cav- cavalry scout unit, and we were doing force protection and convoy escorts. So uh, what, what is that? <laughs> a lot of stuff that we did was just driving. I was a driver out there. Um, and we would primarily drive people home from leave, you know, like to, to Kuwait so that they could go on vacation, see their families and things like that. And then also um, just support the FOB, which was a uh, detainee camp, very much like a Getmo, and just support their uh, transportation and operations. That's cool. So like when you did escort, you were escorting like individuals or like convoy escorts? Was it like the, uh, the KBR guys or was it army vehicles you were escorting? No, no. So this was, you're on the FOB you, and you're going home on leave and you're, like you work at the FOB, like you're a soldier. We don't have airports. Like they didn't have F airports, at least at uh, in Kambuka. So we would transport military personnel to Kuwait so that they could therefore go to Germany or like whatever. How far so a drive was that? About, about an hour and a half. No, so round trip is about three hours. But uh, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's super quick. It's, it's nice to get into Kuwait, right? And be yeah. able to relax a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, we drive into Kuwait, drop people off, hang out for about 20 minutes, you know, smoke and joke, pick up the new people, bring them back. You know, it was a good time. And like people, and everyone was always grateful, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I'm going home, you know, or, or, the, the group, the second group, it's like, I'm back in this freaking spot. <laughs> and the Kuwaiti people were like super chill too, man. Like yeah. I remember like when I was going on R&R, because I was in Afghanistan, my tours. I don't know the big difference between Iraq and Kuwait, like with their, their traffic and stuff. But coming from Afghanistan with like no paved, it's all dirt roads and it's all like shitty rundown Toyota Corollas. And then Kuwait, man, like we're on the bus going to the airport. You look out and it's like Maseratis, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. Like I didn't see anything cheaper than like a BMW in Kuwait. It was like a real, just super nice country. People would like smile and wave at the buses with the GIs on and stuff. It was like, it was a a 180 from like Afghanistan. So it was always nice to be in Kuwait, but it was hot as shit. It was like 120 degrees every summer. Every day. Yeah. I got caught in a sandstorm one day in Kuwait, you know, and just, and, and we didn't know that it was coming either. Right. So I was in, uh, I was in PTs, you know, like t-shirt and shorts, you know, and I come walking in just covered in sand, you know, and I'm like, I'm, I'm a pretty dark dude, you know, but for that moment, you know, I was very beige <laughs> and all you hear is uh, just laughs. And it's like a super thin, it's not like beach sand here. Like it's like gets in every crack and crevice Crevice. of your body yeah just super fun like days later you're still washing it out yeah the worst talking about it now i'm just uh what was iraq like like so you you did these pro did you guys get hit a lot dude we didn't get hit at all you know so it was really interesting iraq in 2008 you know even 2007 going into it you know getting ready to go to iraq it's like it's like you're going to iraq you know it's very like oh my god what's gonna happen make sure you write your will make sure like you have all your stuff in order you know and it's just even like before it's just very hyper vigilant you know like you don't know what's gonna happen like what to expect you know but just be there be stay alert stay alive be ready to support your battle buddies you know and that was very much the tone Every day while we were out on missions, just making sure that everything was 100% ready to roll, you were ready to execute and do your job, you know, whether it was 
riding in this convoy or like standing guard outside of the FOP? Like you were going to do it to 120%, you know, because your life and your, your battle buddy's life depended on it. Right. So you guys were rolling on MSR Tampa, you know, like 04, 05, 06, like that was, you know, you were guaranteed to get hit going on that. So like that kind of, was that in you guys had a little bit? Yeah, very much every day, you know, and granted, like we were in the south south part of Iraq, you know, like half an hour away from the Kuwaiti border. But, you know, you have to get on MSR Tampa, go to Kuwait, you know, which made the drive an hour and a half as opposed to driving directly to Kuwait, you know, um, and there was always that risk. And you have to treat that risk very much for what it is, you know, and that's what generates the, uh, what I would say, the hypervigilance of just making sure that you, you're on point and ready to go. Yeah, like I would imagine it's almost to the point of like paranoia, right? Like, so you drive it so much and you still haven't get hit and you're just kind of like, all right, well, it's going to be really bad when it happens because it's not happening. Yeah. Yet. And so it, like, yeah. And then the tour ends and it didn't happen at all. And it's like, wow, you know, so it's like one, we got lucky or like no one wanted to attack us or maybe the vibe that we put out and all of the political space, you know, of like what the soldiers were trying to do, or like Obama coming in to a presidency, that all of that could have had an impact, you know, but that doesn't change what my job, you know, as an enlisted soldier is in Iraq, you know, which is like ever, like you just say Iraq and it's like, wow, right. that's dangerous. Right. You know, and it's like, and you have to treat that very much for what it is. Were there guys upset about not getting hit? Because I'd imagine a lot of dudes were like anxious to get CIBs and stuff. I'm sure, you know, but our first aren't, God bless them, you know, was very adamant about um, us not trying to be heroes out there, you know, and that, that was an another vibe that was set out from the gate, you know, safety first. Yeah, like I remember like, you know, as a private, we're getting ready to deploy and everybody's like, oh man, I want a cab, I want a CIB, you know, I want I want a combat medic badge, I want it so bad. And the older guys are like, man, you don't want that shit. Like somebody's trying to kill you, it sucks. Yeah. And you're like, no, 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 I want it. I want it, I fucking want it. And then you get it and you come back and the other, the new guys are like, man, I want that shit. And you're the dude now, it's like, man, you don't fucking <laughs> want that yeah. shit. Yeah. So you, you didn't personally get hit. Uh, any guys in your unit? Was there any like close calls, any mortars on the base? My experience from Iraq is very much an outlier from like the like, traditional stories sure. that you hear. But um, I would share, there was this one instance where uh, we had um, guys, UAV guys, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yeah, the drones. Yeah, the drones. One of the drones fell into uh, one of the local villages out like around the, the FOB. And uh, we potentially were going to have to go into this community and recovery recover the drone and, and, and bring the drone back. And that and uh, it ended up like coming down from the talk that we weren't going to do that. But that moment, I'd say, was one of the highlights of uh, like our tours where we're going to go do some shit like, oh, my God. You know, but uh, do they, they just left the drone. No, we, no. We, they ended up sending someone else out there, like to, like some of the ISR guys out there or something to go get it. You know, but uh, yeah, that was one of the highlights. We had a we had a jammer one day break um, in the middle of a mission too. Like it fell off of the MRAP. You know, we had to recover that. You know, the Duke, while, yeah, the the anti IED, yeah, electromagnetic thing, that, yeah, yeah. That that sits. It's like six feet in front of the vehicle occupied. Yeah, this guy inside a Bagram Air Force Base. You know, um, like the guy took a turn a little too wrong and uh like uh got the broke the jammer you know yeah, but i think it's like what, half million dollars too <laughs> yeah, yeah nothing's cheap when you break shit over <laughs> there yeah oh man so you did a year there you come back back to school again 
No, so I came back and like for a year, I didn't do anything really. Then, then I got a warehouse job. Um, just living off that deployment money. Just right? living off that deployment money, making it and but making it, but making it stretch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was very much didn't want to relive. You know, '05 coming back. You know, being young and um, crazy. What rank were you at this point? Getting out as a specialist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I got out as a specialist. It's hard to get promoted in Jersey Guard, you know. Because there's got to be a slot, right? Yeah. Like there's there's only X it, number of E5 slots. So even if you made points, you've been to all the schools, unless that guy quits. Yeah. yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And then like I, like a number of times I've had opportunities come up where, hey, you get promoted in, but you got to go to this MOS. And it's like, no, but I want to be, I want to be an infantryman. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like I don't want to be a 13 Fox or like whatever, you know? Yeah, I don't want to go to that unit. I want to stay in, in this unit. Right. Like, and I've heard of like dudes like, going cross states. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's a, a guy here locally, Colonel Stokes. Like, uh, he was a so he was a lieutenant colonel, and in order to pick up his bird, he had to go to another unit. So he has to fly from here to uh, like Fort Bliss, Texas. Like, oh wow! Once a yeah. month, man. Like that sucks. Wow. And that's that's just out of pocket. The travel's out of pocket. Yeah. Because that was his decision. That's yeah, right. But if you're a full bird, you're probably not worried about that. Nah, yeah, he's good. <laughs> Got that Tricare for life now, yeah. man. <laughs> So you, a year just hanging out? Yeah, so I did a year just hanging out, did the warehouse job in in, in the midst of that, you know, and hated it, you know, because there's this stigma. Well, at the time there was this stigma, at least I experienced it, where it's like, oh, like you can work in this warehouse, you know, and I did supply, you know, for uh, active duty for special work, um, like a couple times, you know, so I'm very familiar with logistics and supply and ordering things. So it's like, yeah, I'll work this warehouse job. Just hated it, you know, and like, you know, the leadership in this organization, it's like, we're going to trust you to do everything. You know, you're a veteran, you're super high speed, but no resources, no support, you know, and that was very, it was very frustrating, you know, and at the time trying to reintegrate, you know, and try to make sense and make a name for myself, you know, it was very difficult. So I ended up, um, was the money decent at least? No, not <laughs> like on top, <laughs> on top, of, all shit on top of all this stress, you know, I was way like, you know, and coming back from Iraq, you know, with, um, what is that? Hardship duty money and BAH and base pay. It was just Your like, ball, man. like yeah. Making, yeah, crazy good money. Yeah, make crazy good money, come back. I worked this job, temp job, no less, and it just didn't make sense, you know. So left that, ended up getting something smaller and then going to school part-time and uh, ended up taking a photography class on a, on a whim, you know, and it just fell in love with photography and the camera. And, like, I... Like I look at a camera, you know, like a, like an M16 where you disassemble it, reassemble it. It does it has so many features and capabilities, you know, and you could just learn that and just continue to learn that and get better at it, you know. So that was very much one of the uh, key tools to my reintegration. You know, um, I've gone on and done other photography things, but um, like through photography that uh, kept me in school and I got to learn a, a variety of other uh, tools. And uh, ended up graduating. Well, I, I went to a community college and got an associate's in photography, but then went on and got a bachelor's in communication studies. You still were in the Guard at this point? No, I was out. I got out of the Guard in 2010. You using the GI Bill? Using the GI Bill. With the, the, the new post-9-11 post with that BAH. GI Bill with that BAH. What yeah, was the BAH is, in New Jersey, man? Like, I imagine it was crazy good. It was it was 1,800 I was getting. That's not bad. Yeah, it was BAH in New York is like 37. Dude, uh, I looked that up. So basic allowance for housing you get, um, it's to supplement your... Basically, if you go into college and you don't have another job, like you can't afford to even live. So uh, the new post 9-11 GI Bill 
gives you a housing allowance each month. And it's based off of what an E5 would make in that location. So you look at the BAH rates, if you're going to like NYU in New York City, like $3,200 a month. Like it is yeah. crazy. But yeah. that'll get you, you know, a 15 square foot apartment yeah, in but Manhattan. It'll, but it'll be your apartment. Yeah. You know, and you won't have roommates and things like that, which is not the case for me. I have roommates and they're great. You know, but yeah. it'd be nice not to have them. <laughs> Shit's expensive. Yeah. Uh, but 1800s not bad, man. Like, that's uh, you, that's livable. is good. You know, I was able to save. I didn't have to dip into savings while I was in yeah. college. You know, so it was very good. And college experience, you know, was great. If you're a veteran and you're not using that GI Bill, you definitely, I would encourage you to uh, switch that For up. For sure. Like, <laughs> did, did you work at all? Not unless I wanted to, you know, and that's and that's kind of how I got involved with the mission continues, you know. So when I when I left community college, so all through college, you know, I had a number of my veteran friends in Jersey, you know, that I deployed with or people that I'd meet, you know, that just didn't know how to navigate the GI Bill. So I would I took it upon myself to like, hey, I'm going to show you how to fill out this VA application to get into community college or whatever, you know. And, you know, the community college loved it. They actually ended up writing a story about me, you know, so that they could attract more veterans, you know, and a lot of uh, military initiatives that the uh, community college had at the time, you know, I was very heavily involved in that stuff. But then transferring also was very seamless to a university. And when I got to university, you know, with this whole thing of helping veterans, which I didn't view as a job, just like something that I would just, just want to help. Just helping your own, Just right? helping my battle buddy, you know what I mean? You're going through what I'm going through. Like at the end of my first semester, and I was very involved and in, I've always been involved in the veteran space and on in the university academic level. And uh, I was invited to speak with uh, some folks at Soldier for Life on behalf of the university and just talk about the uh, college experience for veterans, you know, and that's where I met Wendy Lang, who's the executive director for Operation College Promise that does research on veterans persistence rates and um, shares her insights with universities across the country and um tips on what they can do to make their universities more veteran friendly, you know? So, and that's through her. That's how I got up, found out about the mission continues and did a fellowship. And now I'm part of the organization. You did a, the fellowship with Operation College Promise. Uh, and then after your fellowship was up, you worked for them for a little while. For a little while, yeah, continued doing stuff. And then you got hired by the Mission Continues. And what do you do with Mission Continues now? With Mission Continues, I work as a project specialist, and I, I plan and execute service projects across, particularly in the Northeast, in neighborhoods. So we do like a, a variety of things from um, like building pocket parks, renovating parks, um, renovating schools, and um, creating awesome spaces in great communities um, and also with veterans at the forefront of leading these um, these initiatives. Is that what you did the whole time with Michigan Continues? No. So prior to that, I was uh, working in the grassroots fundraising capacity. So I was actually managing marathon runners, like training them, encouraging them, like both on their fundraising and um, training for a marathon, which is 26.2 miles, and um, like providing them. It's about 25 miles too far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and me both. But yeah, providing them with the encouragement to actually like run and finish the race, but also share with their networks, you know, that they're running this race and they're running it for a good cause to empower future generations to serve. And this is how they can get involved and um, steward them. So how long have you been in your current position? I've been um, planning projects now for about a year. How do you like that? I love it. What, what's your exact role? Like, what do you do as a, as a project planner? So it starts with what we call the city impact managers. In the Northeast region, we have three. So the city impact manager, they go out 
while while they're in their community and they identify a need, whether it's a school that needs that would like a pergola or, you know, a community garden that would like 20 garden beds um, built. You know, I go out and I make an assessment of how many volunteers can actually accomplish the work that they want to accomplish in the amount of time that a volunteer project would be. And I flesh it out from start to finish, um, like what the event will look like, um, allocate resources, what it's going to cost, and then also the execution and motivating the volunteers to uh, to actually get it done. So you work really closely with the, the local platoon leaders. Whenever it gets to a point where it's it's too much for them, you come in and kind of grease the machine, get it going? Yeah, well, I'd say I build the machine and provide them with instructions, very technical step-by-step instructions on how to use it. So that is, it is actually them using it and them making the impact for their community because the platoon, like I'm, I'm over in New York city, you know, but you know, a platoon leader in Pittsburgh, you know, they're the face of that community. And I really want the community to see the volunteer in Pittsburgh leading the way, as well as in all the other cities that we have, uh, the mission continues making an impact. What are your, some of your favorite uh, projects you've like facilitated so far? Oh, man. So many. So, so many. Um, I'd say one of the highlights that I have was uh, over in New York. We had the opportunity to do some revitalization on Ellis Island at the National Museum of Immigration History. You know, uh, it suffered a lot of damages from Hurricane Sandy and the National Parks, which manages the uh, the museum, they have like a $300 million backlog of things that they would like to accomplish to help bring the museum back to where it was, you know, so being able to go there and bring a number of volunteers and, um, help the national parks in Ellis Island. That's, I'd say that's one of my, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Was that like personally like, uh, impact for you? Cause like, you know, you're a child of immigrants, right? Like your, your mom immigrated to here. Yeah. You know, my mom immigrated here, you know, but also, you know, I'm from the New York, New Jersey area, born and raised, you know, so being able to uh, lead an effort like that and be a part of it and have other people and veterans, you know, and we did the project on 9-11 as well, you know, so um, it was very impactful. And So the project at Ellis Island was on 9-11? The, yeah, 9-11. That's two, meta, the, man. The, in 2016, it was great. I yeah. like that. That's cool. That's a great, awesome. great day to do it. You guys are always doing pretty big things in New York. Like you got John Stewart coming in for a big... Yeah, for Earth Day. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay. like, you can go, if you go to missioncontinues.org and donate. Like and you, donate. Yeah, yeah, you can do all of that. Yeah. You you know more than I do. Go hang out, <laughs> go hang out with John Stewart for a day in New yeah. York, man. Yeah. Sounds, are you going to be able to go to that? Yeah, so I'm actually planning that project. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's going to be at uh, the Bronx Forest. Um, we're going to be doing a, a uh, forest revitalization, um, doing some, pulling some invasive plants, digging a path. And then we actually have a special project um, that I'm working with uh, the, the folks in the Bronx where we're going to have some volunteers actually get to do some river work and go into the river and wear the waders and things like that. So it'll be really impactful. That's super cool. Is John Stewart going to be out there doing like digging ditches and doing all that stuff? Doing all that stuff. Well, that's what I'm going to empower him to do. That's killer. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's killer. He's the real deal, man. Like he, yeah, yeah he's great. he's done a lot of like yeah. 
that guy's done a ton of work for yeah. veterans, first responders, man. Like he's one of the he's yeah. one of the good guys that like really yeah. like puts money where his mouth is. Yeah, I actually got to do the uh, veterans immersion program when John Stewart was part of the Daily Show. Yeah, where he was bringing veterans in to learn more about the film and well, the television industry and you know like um like getting production assistant jobs and things of, of that nature and really like sitting down connecting with writers, producers, field editors, you know, and just like everything you know that you would want to know about TV and uh so you got to go into the daily show yeah I got to go into the daily show you know help film it and things and come up uh, one of the highlights from that experience was you know so like the writers for the daily show like in the morning they're writing and coming up with the jokes you know and they come up like all right so for this bit like what's the joke gonna be you know and they're just coming up with ideas you know and you know there was it was myself and like eight other veterans in the room and we're coming up with ideas for these writers and one of the ideas that I came up with ended up on the board and it's like yes that's awesome they ended up not using it for the show but I still but have it, it that. made like it <laughs> yeah. made the uh, preliminary cuts man that's pretty it awesome. made the preliminary cuts one and that's a confidence two, booster there yeah, man. it's a total confidence booster and it made me feel and these other veterans feel included like what you have to say is truly valid and valuable and we would love that perspective so they weren't like dicking around like some places do to pay lip service like veteran stuff like they brought you in and like made you feel like a part of the team like, yeah yeah that's great that's all people want that's all veterans want man they just want to feel like part including. of the team yeah, yeah. That's including. It, inclusion is such a big deal and there's so many things that you can do to uh take steps towards being more inclusive that's cool so what are your future plans um, future plans. So I'm just going to keep planning projects and executing them and empowering veterans to serve and, you know, just sharing my story and, and getting out there. When is the New York event? The Earth Day? The Earth Day event. That? So that's on April 22nd in, uh, in the Bronx. So if this goes to air before and people want to come hang out with John Stewart for the day in New York with, we'll come hang out with Marvin and also meet John Stewart. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If they go on the Michigan's website, yeah. And make a donation, they get it in the running for uh, to be flown out there and yeah. you do cool stuff. And I would even add, if people want to come out to a project at all, like definitely go to the website, check it out, sign up for a platoon and, uh, you know, um, join our mailing list because there's always tons of great stuff happening with the Michigan Do teams. you have to be a veteran to join the platoon? You do not have to be a veteran to join the platoon. Um, the platoon is very welcome to everyone. What percentage of the platoons do you think are, are civilians? Yeah, we have a number of folks come out that are civilians and veterans. You know, we're, we and we strive to be inclusive with our platoons. Um, I'd say if you want to take on a leadership position, become a platoon leader, um, then then that's where the requirement to be a veteran is. And you don't have to be a post 9-11 veteran there. But to come out to a project, sign up and be a part of a platoon and help make an impact in the community, that is welcome to everyone. So if you show up, you'll be able to work hand in hand with veterans, uh, you know, just veterans allies, civilians, and also local members of the community, right? Absolutely. That's an awesome program. Marvin, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Good luck with all the work you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Longest War. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. And be sure to like us on Facebook and Twitter.
the end because it's like yeah you know if you're in a studio like you actually are saying goodbye because the person's gonna leave it's like we're gonna be here for a few more hours like i don't know no but i i guess you're just saying goodbye to the show man that's a good way to look at it so you could say it like well thank you marvel for joining and thank you out there for joining us as well as we talk to marvin you know like like something like that yeah thanks for joining us today on this episode of longest war uh off if you didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> Still going in there. <laughs> that, that's going to be in the B-roll, at least. <laughs>